Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Mitz. We have a little bit of a break for you here tonight. We are going to be previewing the Kansas basketball season here. So I, I, I'm joined tonight by not only our, our normal basketball contributor, Steve Fest, but also Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star. I was able to get both of them on when what's kind of becoming an annual tradition for us, I think. Um, you know, we, we went through pretty much everything for the team last year and decided to go ahead and do the same thing this year. So I uh, was, was really excited to have them on. I, so uh, I will get you guys right on over to them. And I'm joined now for our basketball season preview by uh, Jesse Newell of the, of the Kansas city star. Jesse, how, how are you doing tonight? Doing all right. Uh, KU athletics is keeping all of us in the media industry very busy lately so uh, uh, yeah, yeah football definitely. basketball firings uh federal trials it's it's been a pretty crazy month here uh, for sure yeah it definitely has and uh, and of course we also have for, for our basketball preview tonight fetch as well fetch how you doing tonight hey good uh yeah i uh this is probably one of the times where i'm glad i don't uh do this for a living so i don't have to be super busy with all this stuff yeah i, I definitely agree so so jesse i kind of talked about it a little bit before we started recording but um I wanted to get your thoughts on the one KU football thing that's kind of been the, the, the big story. During during the bye week, they decided to go ahead and fire Doug Meacham. Um, were, were you as surprised by that as we were? Um, I, I, it came as a total shock, if, if that's uh, part of it, for sure. You know, I didn't see it coming. I didn't think that that would be the road day would go down. I remember just a year and a half ago, you know, Doug Meacham was listed as the second best uh, coordinator hire or assistant coach hire in the entire nation. So came very well recommended, all those sorts of things. Um, but I, I sort of understand it, I think, from David Beatty's standpoint, just because, you know, if you look, he's got six games to prove he should be the coach at Kansas. And I said this on some radio shows last week. If you look at KU from a big picture view, 
uh, what's the thing that's keeping them back right now? And the thing that's keeping them back is their offense. And that's not a good look for David Beatty if in year four, you know, every coach out there has either an offense or a defensive slant usually, and David Beatty's slant is offense. And if in year four the one part of the program that got fixed was defense and not offense, uh, that would probably reflect pretty poorly on the head coach. So I almost admired it made a little bit for this just because it's kind of like the move a couple years ago. I mean, he's going to go down on his own terms. He's going to go down swinging. And so uh, if he thinks he can help the offense, if he thinks he can call plays and it'll help him out, uh, then great. You know, it didn't help him out last time. It didn't help him out two years ago. And he admitted then that he took on too much. But uh, I guess after thinking about it, it makes more sense than what I, what I first thought when I was totally shocked by it. Um, but David Bay is going to give it the old college try. He's going to, He's going to go down swinging if this is his final six games as Kansas coach, and we'll see what he can do as an offensive coordinator once again. Yeah, we actually kind of talked about this in our in our last episode, but um, you know, it really I think comes down to you know, there's there's been rumors flying out there about the relationship between Beatty and Meacham not necessarily being the best, some disagreements on how the offense should run. And you're right, if this is his last six games, you know, he's going to make sure that they're doing everything he can his way to try to make that impression and and and, and keep his job. So. All right, but let's let's get here for the main event of what we planned on on talking about tonight. Obviously, the KU basketball season is getting ready to start here pretty quickly, um, so we wanted to go ahead and do our normal, you know, big preview of of what we can expect, some big guys to look out for, and all that fun stuff. But obviously, the the first thing that we have to talk about um, is the the off season news for for the Kansas Jayhawks, um, them being linked to this Adidas trial, and kind of all the bombshell after bombshell really that has been coming out here um i mean i guess a couple things first of all i want your your thoughts was there anything that came out in the trial in the last few days that you've read about that really surprised you and the second kind of follow-up to that is how worried are you about eligibility for a guy like Silvio de souza and for kansas to get any kind of sanctions from this uh two good questions yeah it's it's really tough to talk about this briefly because there's just so many layers and tentacles it feels like I, I feel like when i'm writing these stories or helping to write these stories with you know adam zagoria he's actually in new york taking down the notes it just feels like you kind of have to keep explaining what this means and what that means um you know for the first part uh what happened today this is monday night um that we're talking here what, what happened monday with the, the text messages between gasnola and bill self and gasnola and curtis townsend um maybe a little bit surprised by that just because um especially bill self you know, we, we always hear about this word, the words plausible deniability with this. And so even if these coaches kind of know what's happening and kind of know that their players are getting paid, they usually try to kind of separate themselves uh, from that so that uh, there's really no direct link. And, um, you know, to be honest, there is no direct link for to say, hey, I guess Noel's not saying, hey, I need $100,000 still. And he's not saying, oh, you know, directly, I'm going to pay this kid or something like that. But, you know, if, if you read between the lines, the text that happened between those two, I, I think it's, um, I think you can come to the conclusion that KU staff seemed to know what was going on with this and, and made it pretty apparent in these text messages. Now, the fallout from this, honestly, if this is all that comes out, I, I don't think it's going to be that much. Um, you know, it, it's not a good look for Kansas, and it's, it's going to be probably a, a PR thing for a few days here or a few weeks. And I think, unfortunately for KU, when, when this trial is happening, they're kind of in the limelight on their own right now. You know, it's not nobody's talking about Duke cheating or North Carolina cheating. I mean, the text messages are coming from, from Kansas's program and Adidas representatives talking to them. Um, but I think this is all blow over as long as this is uh, kind of all that there is. But it's just 
it's just kind of a, a bad PR hit, and it's something that will be, I'm sure fans will be reminded of in broadcasts and podcasts and, and whatever media you want to talk about uh, for the rest of the year. And, and that just, um, it's it's just a reality, I think, that, that Kansas fans will have to deal with. When it comes to Silvio, um, I don't know. Again, as of media day last week, Bill Self said that they were going to stand behind Silvio and that they figured they're going to work from the, the knowledge or the thought that he was going to play this season. Silvio was adamant that he was going to play. Um, as more and more of this comes out, it, it seems like there could be a breaking point at some time where they just say it's not worth the headache for either party involved because, again, this is going to be something that will be talked about throughout the course of the season. You know, the only thing I will say is right now, um, if we take the FBI for – or, I'm sorry, the, the Adidas trial for what it's been, um, basically the only thing that's been said from Gasnola about Silvio is that he, he gave him $2,500 for online classes. And we've seen things in the past where Josh Selby, he took about $5,000. He paid back the money and sat out nine games. Darnell Jackson was very similar, about $5,000, paid back the money, sat out nine games. So if only the only thing that's found for, for him uh, that is proven is the $2,500, you know, you could almost face this head on if you're Silvio and KU and just say, okay, um, you know, if you're KU, you say, we submit this as a, a self-reported violation to the NCAA. He took $2,500. He wants to pay it back. You know, what, what are the, uh, what's the punishment for that? And maybe they could take it on that way and just say, okay, he'll take a five-game suspension or a seven-game suspension or whatever the NCAA decides to do with that and then basically pay his punishment and move on from there. But uh, like I said, the, the more this drags on and the more that things are found out or, or if there is more that's found out, I guess the more – that the situation could turn in future weeks, even if last week uh, Coach Bill Self and some of Sosa seemed very adamant that he was going to play this year. So I think that's one that's still up in the air. But uh, like I said, if it's only the $2,500 uh, based on NCLA president, and we know that they go off president so often, uh, that could be something maybe that could be taken care of from a few-game suspension. And then so Sylvia would be eligible after that. Yeah. So, Fetch, do you want to weigh in here real quick on, on, on your well, thoughts on any of this? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, I just one thing I wanted to add, um, and obviously Jesse has his finger on the pulse of this a lot more than I do. Um, but just from my standpoint, you know, you look at the Billy Preston stuff that happened. I mean, as soon as there was something uh, that was amiss, you know, KU held him out. I mean, you saw with Cliff Alexander when there was some question about his mom uh, taking money from, I believe it was an agent, but I guess I can't remember. Um, they held him out immediately. And it just seems like, you know, if, if there was any kind of, uh, worry on their end about Silvio that they would, uh, you know, not rush to get him eligible last year and would be talking about, you know, holding him out this year and stuff. So, um, until he's sitting out games, I think I'm just going to go on the, um, go on the assumption that he's going to be eligible and playing this year. So, uh, that's about the only thing I had to, to add on that one. Yeah. And what's interesting too about that is, um, with Billy, and again, there's more details that are coming out in the, in the federal court case about Billy Preston, there was some that we added today about some text messages between him and his mom, which were kind of interesting. If you guys want to check those out about her basically telling him, you know, not to say anything to, uh, to the, uh, I think it was the FBI people in there, but uh, sort of fascinating stuff when you kind of get the, the curtain moved back. But for Billy Preston last year, uh, it was actually a reinstatement case. So um, from my understanding, what happened was Kay basically deemed him ineligible and then was petitioning the insulate NCAA to say, hey, we want you to tell us that he is eligible again. Basically, we want you to give us your blessing so that if if KU plays him, that they can't come back and say, oh, no, 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 you know, he, you had an ineligible player. Basically, Bill Self and staff wanted the blessing and never got that in the Billy Preston scenario. And again, with some of the things that we saw lately, we can kind of understand where the NCAA was coming from if there was 
you know, some smoke to the stuff with the car and the finances, all those sorts of things. Silvio is a different situation because Silvio was cleared last year. He was cleared through the clearinghouse. You know, he had to take those extra classes and graduate high school, all those things. So I think Bill Self right now, again, until he says he's told different, differently from the NCAA, and he probably won't be told differently from the NCAA because they've kind of been told to stand down on this whole, you know, federal matter until all the court cases are done. He's working from the knowledge that the NCAA has cleared Silvio de Sosa and that he's eligible to compete. So I think the question mark you would have if you're Bill Self or the Kansas coaching staff is, can the NCAA or would the NCAA in a year down the line, two years down the line, come back when all this thing is settled and say, hey, you had an ineligible player and you knew it, so we're going to go ahead and punish you for that. And so if Bill Self feels like that's an unlikely circumstance or if that's something he can fight, then maybe, again, he will stay in Sylvia's corner. Or, like I said earlier, you can self-report it and say he took $2,500. Just deal with the, the punishment up front, which to me that seems like maybe the easiest option is just basically admit what happened that, or that has been proven in the court case say that you did this and then ask for the NCAA to rule or, or suggest a, a ruling five or six games and then move forward from there. That way you kind of end it. You know what I mean? You, you, you serve the punishment and then you can move forward with it. But um, I will say, I think those two things are, are kind of different in how they were handled. And so that's why it might make a little bit more sense that KU didn't play Billy Preston because they never really got the NCAA's blessing. With Silvio, they sort of have the NCAA's blessing and Bill Self said he hasn't been told otherwise. I don't know if he will be told otherwise or if maybe he'll be told by somebody else that it's just in their best interest to move on. But as of right now, again, he's kind of remained in, in Sylvie DeSosa's corner, and you can sort of understand that based on the circumstances that are different between those two guys. Yeah, the one thing I will say, though, the, the NCAA clearinghouse, that's kind of been an, an argument that a lot of people have, have talked about in the past. That typically is only uh, like an academic requirements type of clearing. Like they don't go through – while they do some, you know, cursory financial review and stuff like that, it's more of a, the academics are good and we don't see anything that's obvious in terms of financial issues that are, that are causing problems. You know, they've, they have in the past come back and said, oh, well, this guy was financially ineligible, you know, and, and actually given penalties because of that, even though it wasn't, you know, the, the school received those sorts of clearing already. Um, you know, so I, it, just because they got that from the clearinghouse doesn't necessarily mean I, I do agree with you, though, you know, um, based on the the information that's been coming out, it definitely seems like, you know, KU flagged some some questionable things with Preston, you know, and said, well, it looks like he may not be eligible and wanted that clearance from the NCAA. And now, obviously, now that the information is coming out, we definitely do understand why it took them so long um, yeah. and, and didn't say anything. So. But yeah, let me say one more thing too, and and I agree with you on the clearinghouse. Um, uh, we're talking with Bill Self though, um, too, when he's talking about players coming over from other countries, it sounds like there was some sort of process in place to kind of make sure that you know he'd never played professionally, he didn't have an agent, all those sorts of things. So uh, I think what you say is correct with the clearinghouse, okay. but it seemed to me with Bill Self when talking to him about the circumstance that they had maybe gone through a little bit of extra barrier with Silvio to start with because of his certain circumstances, maybe something you wouldn't see, you know, with a, a kid that comes from Chicago or Florida, those sorts of things. But I, I agree with your main point that the clearing has a lot of that time of that that's academic based, but uh, it seems like Katie went through another layer to make sure that Sylvia was okay last year. Yeah. And that's a good point. So I, I I've been reading a few of those, those stories about the text messages and now, you know, I see where people who really want to say this is, you know, K showing that, that KU knew exactly what's going on, like where they're coming from on that. But the way that I've been reading it, and, and maybe this is my, my KU bias coming through, but, you know, there's nothing in there that, that seems to indicate that 
Self actually knew about the text messages. The only thing that he seems to indicate is, you know, thanks for the help in terms of getting guys to recruit. We always have always known ever since camps have started that, you know, Adidas guys will will try to steer the players that play in their camps to Adidas schools. And, you know, Nike does the same thing and Under Armour does the same thing. Like there was there was no clear indication from the text messages that there was definitely payments happening and that Self had any idea that those were actually happening. Like it's reasonable for him to say thanks for the help. In recruiting a guy, you know, when he's going to Adidas camps, he's playing for an Adidas AAU team, like all of this stuff, it seems pretty normal to me. It doesn't necessarily automatically mean that there are financial payments happening. Um, and and if, if you're going to take his word for it that these things were happening, you almost kind of have to take his word for it as well that, you know, he wasn't discussing this with Bill Self explicitly, you know, that that maybe the coaches probably should have known that something was happening. But in this particular case, like there's no way for for Bill Self to take the abstract knowing that these payments happen in college basketball to this specific guy that we were recruiting that wants to come play for us took a payment from somebody to come here. So, I mean, you know, I think that there is enough there that you could potentially make a case that maybe Kansas should have dug a little bit deeper. But if what you're saying about the, you know, the, the extra clearing is true, I don't know that you can necessarily fault Bill Self for not finding something like this sooner, especially when, you know, the guy that he that he knows, Gasnola, you know, didn't didn't really tell him about any of that and actually said he was actively concealing that from the coaches. Well, real quickly, uh, yeah, and we talked we just said we weren't gonna talk about this very long, and like I said, well, there's yeah. always more layers and we're gonna talk about it a long time, but um so so, so quickly with, with the Sosa, um, you know, there's a, a lot of different text messages you can read with that and, and going into that. But I think the one thing, if you read it, uh, you go to the text messages and, and, you know, I might as well just read straight from the story that we have here. Right. Um, first off, Gasnola, his plea deal is to help the government and the government right. is trying to prove that the schools have been defrauded. So Gasnola is trying to get his sentence lightened by saying that KU was not involved. So, you know, we kind of have to understand motivations here before we start talking because Gasnola is basically, I mean, you know, he's telling the truth on the stand because you're in a federal courtroom, but he's basically being told to say that Kansas was not at fault because that's the government's case. The government's case only works if it's found that these schools like Kansas were being defrauded in this case. It's such a weird thing to try to prove. That's what the government is trying to prove, and that's why Gasnola is a witness. But let me just read this straight from the story. And this is kind of, I think what people are mostly gravitating toward toward when they're talking about these text messages. So on September 19, 2017, three days before KU athletics announced a 12 year contract extension with Adidas, Gasnola texted self to tell him, thank you for helping to get that extension done. Self replied via text messages that he was happy with Adidas and wrote quote, just got to get a couple real guys. Gasnola responded with a text that said, Quote, in my mind, it's KU Bill Self, everyone else fall in line too. Too effing bad. That's what's right for Adidas basketball, and I know I'm right. The more you win, have lottery picks, and you happy. That's how it should work out in my mind. Self replied by text, that's how your works. And I think in this instance, we can uh, assume that you are is meant to be it because those two keyboard letters are right next to each other. This is a texting thing. So that's how your works at UNC and Duke. Gasnola answered by saying Kentucky as well. I promise you I got this. I have never let you down except DeAndre Ayton. Lol, we will get it right. So, again, when you have that text message conversation back and forth, um, it, it seems to me that 
uh, that would indicate that at least at a base level that when Bill Self is saying that's how it works at UNC and Duke, you know, these guys saying, hey, we're going to take care of you. You should get the lottery picks. I mean, it's not Bill Self saying that the payments are happening or, or making the payments happen or delivering the payments or anything like that. But it's at least an understanding, it seems like, of how the process works. But uh, again, we kind of have to go into a bigger picture view of this as well, because is this just a Kansas thing? No, it's not just a Kansas thing. I mean, this is an Arizona thing. This is a North Carolina thing. This is a Duke thing. This is a college basketball thing. So I think the unfortunate thing for Kansas in the circumstances, they kind of get singled out because this is an Adidas trial and the text messages, you know, that are on on the screen as evidence are, are Kansas texts. But um, I think those are kind of the texts that people are talking about when they're saying, hey, there's some sort of knowledge here of how the process works. And uh, maybe the naivety that some fans had to think that all these schools were clean and, and, and didn't do things or didn't have uh, at least knowledge of this happening, uh, that, that might go out the window. But again, I, I, like I said before, I don't think that this is anything that will really hurt Kansas in the long run. I think it's a, it's a, it's a bad look, but um, this is something that probably will blow over here in the next few weeks of media cycle. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think really the only big effect this could potentially have would be on DeSouza, whether he gets to be eligible or not. Um, like I, I'm not seeing probation or, you know, um, suspensions, or, I mean, or anything like that. Um, you know, just because one, it's, it all seems kind of circumstantial and clouded in terms of what exactly is going on. Um, there is a lot of ulterior motives from a bunch of the different witnesses in this case. So, it, you know, I don't know that the, that the, the NCAA could necessarily take this all at face value. It's going to require them to do some additional investigation. Um, I'm just not sure that they necessarily want to deal with that mess. I think they, they might actually be honest and just say, you know, let's, let's get some new rules in here, kind of monitor things a little bit closer moving forward and just move on. Um, you know, again, I, I don't necessarily want to get too far into that because there's just so many unknowns. It's not really known what they're going to do. And until all the evidence comes out, we can't really get a good idea of exactly what the NCAA might try to do with it. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and jump over now to the actual season preview for campus. Um, and maybe we can get Fetch a little bit more involved here as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, so first of all, I think the biggest, the biggest question, and obviously I, I'm just going to assume for all of our discussion that DeSouza is eligible this year. Um, you know, that we, we plan on having him the full year. If the only reason he wouldn't be playing would be some sort of injury or, you know, someone comes on that's a lot more effective than him. So let's, let's start with that caveat there. Um, the biggest question that I've been asked multiple times over the summer is what is the starting lineup going to look like for this team? There's so many options here. There's so many guys that are really, really good. What is that starting five going to look like? And is it going to be the same at the beginning of the season as it is at the end of the season? Fetch, go, buddy. <laughs> so I've – Dustin um, needs more, you know, more I, time to think. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um, I do too. Uh, do we have commercials on this thing yet? Um, so, <laughs> hey, I'll, um, I'll, give you, I'll give you five if you want. I'll, I'll give you my projection, and then, <laughs> and right. then I'll throw it to you. Actually, if you I'll want. Sure. the whole episode. Uh, you know, I was of the opinion in the summer, I thought it would be Charlie Moore point guard. And uh, I've definitely flipped on that just from, from some, some things I've heard and from, I guess, uh, takeaways from the coaching staff and how they talk about certain people. I think it's going to be Devon Dotson to start. Um, it's a freshman point guard. So that's, you know, sometimes you, you, you wonder about that because you can remember times in the past where that hasn't always worked out immediately for Kansas, but I guess some recent times it has, you know, Frank Mason started as a freshman. And so, uh, they let him develop, but uh, Devon Dotson, Quentin Grimes obviously is going to be in there. 
Um, I think they're warming up to the idea of Marcus Garrett being the third guy. I think they love what he brings defensively, um, and we'll see if he's improved his shot. And then, uh, obviously, the 4-5, you go with Diedrich and Udoka. So uh, I would say those five, I don't think that that will be the starting five at the end of the season just because they have so many different bodies, so many different guys you can throw in there, and it could emerge. And we're not even talking about LeGerald Vick, uh, you know, who, who obviously could work his way back into a starting role too. But uh, I will start off with those five, and I think that's who you'll see in the first game against, I guess, it's Emporia State in the exhibition. So just to just confirm, you said Dotson, Grimes, Garrett, Lawson, and then Azubuke? That's the five, yep. Okay, all right. Just I wanted to make sure I heard you right. I had some stuff going on in the background. So, Fetch, what about you? Yeah, I had, um, I guess my original thought was that Charlie Moore is going to be the starting point guard. Obviously, I'm not, you know, talking to the coaches. I don't really know, you know, what they're thinking. Um, just from, from my standpoint, given the year that he had at Cal two years ago as a freshman, um, it just seems like they would want him on the floor as much as possible. Uh, Self talked about playing them, uh, him and Dotson together, which I think might be a, a little bit of an issue uh, defensively given their size and given the fact that um, then you kind of have to play Marcus Garrett at the three and, and probably uh, Diedrich and Azubuki. And then, you know, how does that affect who else you can cover and stuff like that. But um you know, the thing about this year's team or about um, this year's, I guess, starting lineup combinations that you can have. One guy I like uh, coming off the bench potentially would be Garrett. Um, and I talked about this in the summer when we had kind of our uh, our reset podcast, for lack of a better phrase. Um, I just like the fact that he can kind of come in and play one through four. So he can come in and, you know, if, if Charlie Moore's in foul trouble or if Devin Dotson's in foul trouble, he can come in and, uh, give him a spell. If Bill Self wants to go small, he can come in and potentially play the four. Um, it does seem like Bill Self really loves his game, though, and, and so I guess that kind of uh, does lean towards him starting. So, um, you know, I have no reason to to doubt Jesse's starting five. Um, I guess just from my standpoint, I would probably uh, do some sort of uh, maybe Charlie Moore, Quentin Grimes. I'd probably start with Gerald Vick, to be honest with you, just because I think Kansas is going to need that three-point shooting, um, I don't really know who else is going to give it to him. Um, and then, obviously, Diedrich and, and Udoka as the, the four and the five. But that's probably not going to happen, but that's probably what I would do. And, obviously, I, I know more than Bill Self. So, you know, listen listen to me and not the, uh, not the Hall of Fame college basketball coach. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I struggled back and forth as well. But, you know, the thing that really kind of jumped out to me is just that, that Charlie Moore – Despite not having kind of the the accolades immediately coming in that that Devin Dotson did, I, you know I, what I saw from him and the exhibitions that he was able to do kind of kind of hit me uh, in terms of a lot of similar sort of things that we saw early from Frank Mason. Kind of not saying he's going to be as good as Frank Mason because honestly it's kind of hard to project anybody to be that good. But I, I think that Charlie Moore is going to do a lot more than than a lot of people are are thinking that he will. Um, that being said, you know I. I I've been listening to what Bill Self has been saying about Dotson over the summer. And so I have a hard time thinking that either of those two is not going to be starting, at least initially. Um, so I, I honestly think it's going to be Devin Dotson, uh, Charlie Moore, Quentin Grimes. I'm not sure how you can keep him off uh, out, out of that starting lineup. Um, and then Lawson and, and, and Asabuke. So, um, you know, I, I think that that's kind of going to be what the starting lineup is. I don't think Marcus, I mean, I, I think Marcus Garrett will probably be the first guy coming off the bench. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if he worked his way in eventually, but I don't think he's going to start the year as one of the starters. Now, obviously, 
Bill Self is going to do whatever he wants. He's probably going to prove every single one of us wrong by having some other completely random lineup. But, um, you know, I also wouldn't be surprised if any of the guys that we all have talked about, you know, Vic or, or Garrett somehow, you know, end up starting, um, you know, there's, there's just so many different options that they have. So, so to move on to that, um, you know, last year we kind of did a ranking of all of the guys. Of course, we only had like eight or nine guys to really, you know, worry about ranking. Um, and, and then, you know, eight and nine were really easy to, to, to talk about right away. So I'm not going to ask for you guys to rank every single one of the players, but let's, uh, if, if you guys can give me your, your top five in terms of which five players you think are going to be the most crucial to the success of Kansas this, this season. Oh, go ahead, Fetch. Okay. Um, yeah, so I'm, again, I'm, I'm counting down, um, all 12, but yeah, I'll just to, just so you don't get mad at me, I'll limit it to five. Um, <laughs> well, if you want so, to just like list all the other ones out, cause I, I know that most of those have already come out on, on rock talk talk, but yeah, I sure can. Do you want me to go one through 12 or 12, or 12 down to one? 12, 12 down to one sounds good. Okay. Okay, so 12, I have um, Ochai Egbaji. I sure hope I'm pronouncing that right. I'll probably never get that correct. Um, <laughs> and I actually think he's probably going to redshirt, um, but I have I have him in there at 12. Um, I have Mitch Lightfoot at 11, which um, I always kind of feel bad ranking him so low because he's definitely, you know, one of those guys where if you were on Oklahoma State or Oklahoma, you could see him getting a, a ton of minutes and being a pretty good rotation player. But, you know, with the, the lineup that Kansas has, it's just kind of tough to – to see him getting a, a ton of minutes. Um, he, can I have David? What? He, sorry. He he kind of reminds me of a Connor Frankamp situation where you know he yeah. got some minutes here, but transferred to another program and ended up being one of their big stars for for a few years. So I think Lightfoot would have a similar sort of success if he were to go to an, another program. It's just being at Kansas where they're so stacked, it's hard for him to find that time. Sure. Yeah. And then. So, so five through ten, I kind of jumbled around maybe five hundred times, um, and I came up with uh, McCormick at ten. At 10. Um, I just think the playing time is going to be a little bit tough to come by. Uh, De- I have Devin. I had and have, I guess, Devin Dotson at nine. That's probably the one that um, I'm going to look back and regret if he ends up starting. Um, just from what I've seen and and what I've kind of read about him. Um, he seems like he needs some improvement on the defensive end, and I know how much Bell South likes defense. So that's kind of why I have him um, down there. Uh, number eight, I have LeGerald Vick. Um, just he's a, a little too streaky for me to rank too much higher. Um, I have Marcus Garrett at seven, um, and I actually linked to uh, a really nice thing that Jesse wrote last year, actually, about how um, he was featured in all of KU's best lineups, three-man, four-man, five-man um, I think what their top like four three man lineup. So certainly there's something there, but just the fact that he really cannot shoot um, really leads me to to rank him there. And, and I just think it's going to be a little bit bigger of an issue this year than it did last year because they're not going to have those shooters to kind of cover for him, and they're going to have to go uh, inside a little bit more. Um, and teams sagging off to help on on Diedrich and Azubuki is going to be a little bit more of an issue this year than than last year, I think. So. Uh, six, I have um, KJ Lawson, and he's a guy who um, I don't know if we want to talk about him a little bit more, um, but I do because I think he's probably the guy that um, I'm higher on than most uh, KU people this year. Um, I read a couple of things originally when both the Lawsons transferred that uh, he's this elite uh, perimeter defender who can also defend in the post. Um, obviously, his uh, shooting numbers were not great. Um, I think he was low 30% from three. 
uh, as a sophomore at Memphis. But even if he can do that, you know, that's not terrible. Um, and it's probably a guy that you can't really leave alone. Um, but, you know, and I, I hate to read too much into what happened at late night, but his stroke looked pretty good and, and uh, pretty repeatable and pretty compact and stuff at late night. So, I mean, if he can get into the mid to high 30%, couple that with some defense, I mean, maybe he can be like a mini Travis Relliford type player, and we all know how good he was. Um, so that's uh, that's him at six. And then uh, five, I have Charlie Moore, which um, if he ends up coming off the bench, I guess you might have to just switch him and Dotson. But just given how much um, Bill Self puts on his backcourt, guys, I just think that um, whoever starts at point guard has to have a really good year for Kansas. Um, four, I have Silvio de Sosa, uh, just because I think um, maybe not from an important standpoint, but just from a quality standpoint. Um, if he does get to play, I really think he's going to have a huge step forward, both offensively and defensively. Um, if you look at the the steps he made from when he first became eligible to the NCAA tournament, I mean, he just improved by leaps and bounds. And then three, two, one, our, I have Grimes, Azubuki, and Diedrich Lawson. I think that that's pretty, uh, pretty standard. I mean, I guess some people might have Grimes second, but I don't think there's anything to quibble cool about there with that order. All right, Jesse, what about you? Yeah, it's tough to do this. Uh, I'm kind of keep scrolling up and down the roster here. I, know. Uh, I, I think I'm, I'm mostly in place with, I think, uh, what you start with. You know, Abaji just seems like a redshirt candidate all over, especially on this team. I mean, even if they like what he does, it just doesn't seem like the minutes are there. I agree with you if Mitch Lightfoot um, can provide them a lot of different things and obviously did last year, but um, just with the front court depth, it doesn't seem like, um, you know, his role is definitely in question. And he's another guy that you even wonder about a potential redshirt because uh, if you look next year, they could lose a lot of these big men. You know, Dietrich Lawson could be gone. Yudoka uh, Azabuki could be gone. David McCormick could be gone. Sylvia De Sosa could be gone. So um, it, it might be one of those where you could trade, uh, you know, this year for uh, one down the line if you were willing to stay in school for another fifth year. Uh, let's see. Oh, man. Now, yeah, it gets – it gets tough from there because you kind of have this glut that goes one through ten. Ugh. I would probably go with. I'm gonna miss somebody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gosh, I mean, it's bad to say this. Whoever you say at ten is like sounds like a big slam on him, and it's it's not really. I mean, I guess I'll probably go. <laughs> Probably David McCormack, just because, um, you know, it'll be helpful for him to have minutes off the bench, but um, it still seems like a guy that, kind of like Thomas Robinson, his freshman year could develop into a great player, but it's not a player that they absolutely have to have play right now. Um, Number nine to me is K.J. Lawson. I I just think there's question marks about where he plays. Bill Self always seems to have those sorts of guys play a small four instead of a big three uh, because of the way they guard. So, I just don't know. I, it, you know, calling the jack of all trades can be a compliment, but it also uh, sometimes cannot be a compliment because you don't really know exactly what you're getting out of that guy. Uh, I think he can provide some leadership, and I think there's, you know, some obviously some good things he can do. Like you said, stretch the floor and then rebound, do a little bit of everything. But I just don't know what position they're going to play him at. If uh, even at late night they played him as a small big, and if they play him as a small big, he enters into a front court rotation that we already talked about, which is uh, pretty intense. Uh, let's see. Who am I now? Man. Yeah, I need to fly through these. Uh, eight, I guess I will go with, man, they have so many good players. 
probably, I guess I'll go eight, Charlie Moore. Um, I think I'll need a shooting. Um, but, again, we'll, we'll see how much he plays and how much he splits time. Bill Self kind of keeps talking about how he's a combo guard uh, and not a true point guard. So kind of we'll see how that plays out. He's played combo guards at point guard before, but um, we'll see how that plays out. Seven, we'll go with uh, go ahead and go with Marcus Garrett, even though, like I talked about, his starting lineup, he has great plus-minus numbers. But um, he can kind of fill in a bunch of spots. But it, I don't really – I don't know. I, I think you could see KU succeeding, um, you know, uh, without – him having a huge role if, if, if he didn't have to have a huge role, if that makes any sense. Uh, six, LeGerald Vick, you know, again, he'll probably be the first off the bench to start with, but uh, he provides shooting, and this team is going to need some shooting in there. Who am I missing now? Silvio? Um, yeah, Silvio probably belonged a couple of spots down there. He probably – he was probably uh, – he was probably behind Garrett, uh, so I, I'll bump Garrett and uh, Charlie up, and then Devon Dotson, four. And then I'll follow your other three. Go with uh, Grimes, Udoka, and Diedrich. I think most people would pick that. So, so you have Vic as, as number five, then? Vic would be number five, yes. Okay. And then All I right. said, what, what? Marcus Garrett six? Yeah, that works. Yeah. Totally official and scientific. Hey, <laughs> right, exactly. Basketball so. roster, yeah. So I'm going to take advantage of the fact that I got to go last. Um, funny how that works when you're the host of the podcast, right? So. Um, so, so yeah, I, I will agree with the, with the 11 and 12, um, Agbaji and then, and then Lightfoot. Um, and actually it looks like I agree with you guys on number 10 as well with McCormick. I think just given the fact that there is so much depth you know, down, down low, I think it's going to be hard for McCormick to kind of get on the court and actually to, to kind of, um, I guess compare him in terms of the role that he'll have. I see him more of like a, a Cole Aldrich in his freshman year where he'll kind of be on the bench and, and just kind of be there. He might get an opportunity to kind of break out late in the season. Um, just when, you know, when they want to, to use that depth in, in, in the Big 12 tournament, the NCAA tournament, that kind of stuff. But I don't, I just don't know he's going to get very many opportunities to really show too much throughout the entire year. I actually have Vic down at number nine. I know, you know, all, all the talk about needing his shooting. Um, but honestly, just the kind of the, the history that he has with Bill Self, I, I find it hard to believe that Bill Self is going to rely on him for that kind of shooting. I think he's going to try everything else that he can to find that shooting elsewhere, unless he just absolutely has to have Vic. I think the, I think the rest of the team can, can do well enough that he won't have to be out there in big, in big instances. You know, it's not like he's, they're going to need his senior leadership. They have plenty of guys that are veterans that can provide that leadership. So he's not, it's hard to see where Vic kind of fits in unless they just are abysmal from three point land for the entire year. Um, I don't, I, I think some of the other guys, Garrett will probably come on. I think more Dotson can kind of give a little bit enough of that outside shooting that Vic isn't an, absolutely a, a requirement for this team. I have Garrett at number eight. Um, I just, uh, you know, uh, kind of the same concerns there. I mean, I know that he's got the great defense, but, um, you know, I'm just, I'm concerned about him being able to keep up offensively especially since we have two guys that are slotting, a, a, you know, above him for the point guard duties. He kind of was that de facto backup point guard last year, which allowed him to see more time um, than I think he would normally get in, in a stacked lineup like, like this. I have KJ Lawson at number seven uh, to kind of go along with what you were talking about, Jesse. You know, I just, I'm concerned about where he's going to get consistent time. I do think we're going to see him all over the place. I could see him playing up at a two. 
um, in in some of those bigger lineups. I could see him being the four if his, you know if if Diedrich needs a break or something like that. Um, especially if if De Souza you know has misses any time for any reason. Um, but I, I mean, I do think it's kind of hard for him to crack up any higher in the lineup there, just because you know he's not going to have a clear a clear defined role that's going to make him see the floor a lot. Um, I actually have De Souza's number six. Um, which, you know, I think part of this is kind of hedging my bets against, you know, there's this, this slight possibility that he may not be available at all. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I just think I, while he's going to provide consistent play, you know, there are two big guys ahead of him in the lineup, um, clearly. And so he's going to be that first big guy coming off the bench. But I just don't know that that's going to turn into him necessarily being as impactful or as important for what they need to get done this year. Um, so, so in, in the, in the top five, I have, uh, Moore as, as, at number five and Dotson at number four. I think that they're going to split the point guard duties for the most part. Um, I, I do think that Dotson might end up being like the main point guard, but with how stacked this team is and how much time they're going to have to be sharing with everybody, I don't think that he's, you know, going to be far and away playing 30, 35 points or minutes a game. Um, so, you know, I do think it's going to be just as important that our backup point guard can run it just as effectively. Um, so, then I have I actually have Yudoka at, at, at number three, um, just given the the amount of time that he plays, um, you know he he's averaging about twenty I think it was twenty three minutes a game last year, so he's going to be impactful while he's on the floor, um, which and it's going to work out perfectly with all the depth that they have that he won't have to be on the floor anymore to be so successful. But you know I just think uh, given the fact that Grimes is kind of projecting to be that type of player up on the wing that they're going to need to keep defenses on us and things like that. I think Grimes is just a little bit more important. So I have him at number two. And then I think Diedrich Lawson is, is kind of the obvious at number one. You know, he's a, he's a player of the year candidate, big, big 12 player of the year preseason candidate as well. So, I mean, he's going to be kind of the face, I think of the program this year in terms of a production standpoint. So I definitely do have him at number one. So, all right, well, I had asked for top five, but we ended up going through everyone anyway. So, um, but yeah, so, I mean, it's, was was there anything else you guys wanted to say about any of the individual players before we turn more to the team? Well, I think so. My question, I guess, and mostly for Jesse, since he's, I'm assuming, you know, talking to people and, and watching these guys play and stuff. But with all the um, with all the stuff that Marcus Garrett can do in terms of uh, his defense and and uh, just being able to play multiple positions and his versatility and stuff. Um, but with his lack of shooting, um, I guess my question is, given that you ranked him so low, um, and obviously I, I mentioned him when I ranked him pretty high, um, why can't KJ Lawson just kind of be Marcus Garrett, but with the ability to shoot the ball a little better? Uh, that's a good question. I think I mostly would say that's defense. Um, and this is just more me talking from, um, from past histories, I would say just with Bill Self. I mean, if you look at guys over history um, that have played a big wing for Kansas, uh, it, it doesn't often work out very well. If you know what I'm saying, like Bill Self wants that guy to be able to defend a three and not allow dribble drive penetration. Now I haven't seen KJ Lawson enough to know, but again, if you're listing him at six foot eight as a guard, um, who are some of the other six six, six seven, six eight type guards that have played the three for Kansas before? I mean, we could go down a list, and it's basically um, a transfer list, if we're being honest, you know, like uh, Micah Downs, Andrew White, 
Brandon Green. I mean, like the the the, the big threes that couldn't defend the three. You know what I'm saying? So sure. I guess to me, it's more like a history sort of thing, and it doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it wrong. It just makes it like Bill Self wants that guy on the wing to be able to slide his feet and defend. And we've seen how most teams, or a lot of teams now, are going with small ball where you know the three guy might even be a little bit smaller than they used to be in the past. So there are kind of some dangers to playing even bigger. So uh, and and honestly, the Garrett ranking for me was kind of spitballing as I was scrolling through roster. I think he ended up at six for me. And I already, like I said, I wrote in an article last year how valuable he was. I think his defense uh, will play at any level. I think he makes other players better. And that also kind of has to go in with the fit of your team, which is a little bit different from what we're doing. We're ranking the best players, but, you know, Marcus Garrett could be the best fit for the team because, hey, uh, they have scores. You know, Dedrick Lawson is going to score a lot. And Yudoka Azubuki is going to score a lot. And and Quentin Grimes is going to score a lot. And they might need a couple guys that, you know, are good defenders or that pass the ball to them or that do different things. I always kind of bring up the example that if you have one Michael Jordan, that's good for a team. If you have two Michael Jordans, you could probably make it work. It's a little bit dicey. If you have three Michael Jordans, it doesn't work. You need somebody to rebound. You need somebody to pass the ball, that sort of thing. And so Marcus Garrett could kind of fill in that role where, hey, he does some of the other things that help you win, uh, even if he's not a great scorer because there's other guys on the floor that can that can do the scoring for Kansas. So I, I – I, and I, you know, listen, KJ, I've talked to him in the offseason. I talked to him in the summer at the Washburn camp. Um, he seems to me like he'll be one of the leaders on KU's team. He's local. He's, he has experience. He's actually older than Diedrich, which is something that, you know, not many people talk about, uh, that they kind of got weird mixed up on their, their years because of red shirts and Diedrich graduating early, all those sorts of things. So uh, he's one of those guys for Kansas. I, I just, for me, when I'm looking at him in the preseason, I'm kind of projecting what has happened in Bill Self's past. And right now, I just wonder about, as you guys said, you know, what is the path to minutes? What is the easiest path? And you can see an easy path for Devon Dotson. You can see an easy path for Charlie Moore. With KJ, you just, you wonder a little bit. It, it makes you wonder how and what that role is going to be. And so that makes me a little bit more cautious. doesn't mean it's not going to work out for him. It just means I don't see that clear path, at least based off the history that Bill Self has and how he's played those sorts of guys in the past. All right. So, um, Let's let's go ahead and jump away from the individual players now. I want to look at the the schedule. Obviously, once again, it's a it's a completely packed schedule. We've got huge games starting off from the very first one against Michigan State in the Champions Classic. Um, you know, they have the NIT season tip off over Thanksgiving weekend, um, starting with Marquette and then playing either Tennessee or Louisville. Um, you know, they they have Stanford coming in. They've got Villanova coming in. Uh, and then, you know, not even talking about the Big 12 slate. And then, of course, going to Kentucky as part of the, big, the SEC Big 12 Challenge. The first question I have for you guys is, which which of those non-conference games do you think is going to be the toughest game? And which one do you think is going to be the most competitive game? And they might be the same one. But, Jesse, you want to go ahead and start us off? Uh yeah, well, I mean, I, I'm probably not breaking any new ground here, but um, KU Kentucky, <laughs> January 26th uh, at Rupp is going to be, um, it was like basically like, like last night's Patriots-Chiefs game. I think it's the game that everybody's going to be looking forward to for a few weeks, and then it's going to be the game of the, basically the college basketball season. So, yeah, I think that's toughest for KU. I think it will be the most competitive. And uh, I'm looking up Bart Torvik's site, and he has some, Really cool stats up right now, and actually for the moment, it's the only game where KU is not favored in in the entire season. KU has a 50% chance to win it, and the projection is 82-81 Kentucky. So uh, 
the Jayhawks play a whale of a schedule, and that you know obviously when you add, hey, they have a 60% chance to win this game and an 80% chance to win this game, they're still projected to have like a you know a 25 and five record when it's all said and done. Um, but having said that, you know the only game that you would look at at this point and say, hey, that Vegas would not make KU a favorite. Uh, that's pretty remarkable that that's only one game. That's the game against Kentucky. But uh, people will be talking about the game from a long time out, and uh, for good reason because that's that's going to be a huge one. That that'll be fun to watch. Now, I'm curious. I don't actually have Bart Horvick's side up. Um, does that have that second game in the NIT season tip off listed there with any kind of probabilities? It does not. But uh, since it's a neutral site and Kansas is listed as number one on his preseason rankings, um, you know we can assume that. He will at least be a Probably, couple point favorite yeah. in that game if it was uh, if it was even against whoever it was because whoever it is is going to be ranked below Kansas. Uh, he has Kentucky fifth, so you have in the home court advantage and uh, makes Kentucky a slight slight favorite. But it is kind of interesting to look at it because you know even right now like that Villanova game at home, you think, oh my gosh, it's going to be a huge game. The team's you know crowd's going to be juiced. It's going to be competitive. All these things, and we know how well Jay Wright coaches his teams. Yet um, you look at this, and right now. His side has uh, KU as an 11-point favorite. So uh, that might not be as competitive as people think, but you get a true road game against a team like Kentucky. Uh, that's going to be a huge one for sure. Yeah, and actually I just pulled it up. I'm, I'm surprised because, you know, I've been hearing a lot of good things about Tennessee, and they're ranked really highly pretty much everywhere else. I'm surprised he has them down at number 13. Um, you know, even, even though it is a neutral site, I, I do think that that Tennessee game is going to be, assuming it actually happens, um, is going to be a really, really tough one for the Jayhawks, especially so so early in the season. So what about you, Fetch? Any other different games you wanted to, to, to talk about here? Yeah, I guess. Um, I mean, I, I agree, so I'm not really breaking any news there. Um, <laughs> but one, I guess, for, for competitive and, and just coming at it from a KU standpoint, um, I really think they're going to show up to that game at Arizona State, um, which is on uh, December 22nd. Uh, given what happened last year in Alfield House when – Arizona State went in and they won by 10, but it was, you know, obviously never really close, to be honest with you, um, other than the first, uh, I guess the first half was pretty close, but then Arizona State came out and just, you know, obliterated them in the second half and um, could kind of get whatever shot that they wanted and KU really had no interest in playing defense and uh, you don't really see them put forth that kind of an effort uh, in Allen Fieldhouse. I mean, it seems whenever like they, whenever they lose in Allen Fieldhouse, um, it seems like it's the other team playing really well or, or you know, uh, a close game that maybe they get lucky or something like that. But Arizona State just came out and, and flat out embarrassed them last year. So I'm sure KU is going to want to come out and erase some of that uh, bad taste and, and come out and kind of give them the same thing on their home floor. So obviously the the Kentucky game is the big marquee one, and, and there's some others uh, that I'm interested in watching. But from a competitive standpoint, I think they're going to want to avenge that one. Yeah, the only other game that kind of jumps out to me is obviously that, that – first game of the season against Michigan State, it takes a little bit, I think, for, for a lot of teams, especially the really good ones, to kind of find their footing. I could see that one being an extremely competitive game. Um, you know, and, and be, to be honest, the, the Champions Classic games typically are pretty competitive, um, other than that one, you know, pasting that KU got at the hands of Kentucky that one year. Um, so, I mean, I'm expecting that one to be extremely competitive. I'm curious to see where we'll be with these two teams um, when we finally get to that Kentucky game. Um, you know, I, I just, I, I get the feeling for whatever reason that something is going to happen and, and they won't be clearly the two best teams in the nation. Um, like everybody seems to think that they're going to be by that point. Um, 
but in terms of other games that kind of jump out at me, you know, obviously that, that Villanova one, um, the fans are really going to be hyped up for that game. Um, but then, I mean, I'm looking in the, in the, in the big 12 schedule and, and, and I know I didn't ask you guys about that, but you know, I, I'm trying, I'm having a hard time coming up with any big 12 games that really jump out at that same sort of level. So I definitely think that like the big marquee games all come in the non-conference. We have quite a few of them out there. So, but to kind of, kind of build on that now, um, there are quite a few really tough, you know, two game stretches or even I'll even expand it to like, you know, two out of the, the three in a particular stretch. Um, where do you think that, that toughest back to back or even, you know, maybe, um, two out of three stretch comes for Kansas in the season. And, and, and let's go ahead and include the, the big 12 schedule in this as well. So, so this is both non-conference and in conference. Right. So, so of the entire schedule, like what do you think is either, either two back-to-back games or two games with another one in the middle, um, you know, that aren't really that, that far apart, like that toughest slate there. Sure. So I'm going to go with one that um, I think may be a little bit uh, off the wall and, and may be incorrect, but I like thinking outside the box here. So um, I'm going to go with that uh, NIT season tip-off um, if Tennessee uh, beats Louisville. Um, Tennessee is going to be probably a preseason top 10 team um, in everything, um, including Ken Palm. Um, I don't have uh, Bart's side up. Um, that someone can fill me in as what they are, but they're going to be a really good team. Um, and then Kansas plays Marquette uh, in the first game and, and Marquette, certainly not a, a great team. Um, they weren't even a top 50 team in Ken Palm last year. Uh, but one thing about them that they do is they really spread you out uh, and shoot a ton of threes. So they took uh, the 42nd to most threes in the country last year um, and shot about 42%. From deep, and you saw, you know, like I mentioned with the Arizona State game, um, you know, Arizona State did kind of the same thing and, and spread them out and shot a ton of threes against them and were able to get a ton of good looks. Obviously, Villanova, uh, with that absolute onslaught in the Final Four, were able to do kind of the same thing. So um, I'm eager to see if Bill Self's kind of, I don't know if learned his lesson is the right word, but uh, seeing what adjustments he's made to that kind of style and see how Kansas approaches that kind of style. And um, I think with some of their defenders this year, they'll maybe be able to defend against that style a little bit better this year than they did last year. But um, if they can't, and if they haven't made any kind of uh, adjustments, um, it might be a, a long game and, and they might not even get to that matchup uh, against Tennessee. So that's kind of the, the duo that I'm looking at for sure. And real quick, cause you actually, I, I, I knew I should have gone first cause you stole mine, but um, <laughs> the, the, the other thing that I think is a little bit underrated here, and maybe it's just a, like an, an artifact of the ESPN BPI um, rankings that they have there. But, you know, g- coming into the off season, they actually had uh, Kansas at, at number one, Gonzaga at number two, Tennessee at number three, and then Marquette at number four in the ESPN BPI coming into this season. So I think Marquette is one of those sneaky good teams that, you know, most of the rankings are probably keeping them down just because, there's not a lot of belief in that, in that particular team. I think they might come out and surprise some people. Uh, I'm not saying that they're going to be extremely good this year for sure, but you know, they definitely have the opportunity there to make that a much more interesting game. Like you were saying, than than I think most, most people are willing to give them credit for. Um, but yeah, that, that was kind of my 
two game stretch that I was a little bit worried about. Um, just given the fact you might be playing number four in the ESPN BPI in Marquette and then turning, turning right around and playing number three in Tennessee. So, um, but I'll, I'll give a different answer here in a little bit. I'll let, I'll let Jesse go next. Yeah. Yeah. I probably, um, around that Kentucky game, you know, Bill Self always, um, he, he kind of has a love hate relationship with that SEC Big 12 challenge, you know, going into it, he, seems to not like it. And then sometimes when his team plays well in it, he seems to like it and they get energized to play somebody different. But, you know, they kind of have some interesting games around that game where um, the Saturday before they play at West Virginia. And I know I'm kind of on an Island here because I'm usually the guy that is preaching how K-State is better than people think. But I actually, if I had to pick, I'd put West Virginia second in the big 12 poll. So I think that that's always a challenging game for Kansas. I think that might be the most challenging uh, big 12 road game they have. So at West Virginia, home against Iowa State, at Kentucky, and then at Texas. I know you didn't ask for four of them, but uh, to me, that's kind of an interesting stretch. Uh, you're going to have the hoopla of the Kentucky, but as you know with Bill Self, he's going to care a lot more about those two games before and that one game after, and those are some of KU's toughest games uh, of the conference slate. So I, I will say that stretch uh, in late January where really KU could kind of define its season. Yeah, and, and I mean, so in in terms of what I had actually asked about, I'm assuming you're talking about the at West Virginia and then at Kentucky sandwiched around the Iowa State game. So, um, you know, that I mean, that and, and that was honestly, that was my number two. And part of the reason I went ahead and let you go second, because I knew I, you know, I didn't want to take yours. Um, I do actually have another one that I've been kind of eyeing here and it may be a little unconventional, but, um, you know, at or I'm sorry hosting Villanova on December 15th and then turning around a week later and going to Arizona state, like, like Fetch talked about, I don't know that they're necessarily going to have huge problems with those games. Um, but given the way that Villanova embarrassed them in the final four last year, I could see Kansas coming out being a little too hyped for this game and not necessarily playing very well. Um, they always tend to have one of those games at home against a, a top level opponent where they just come out flat for whatever reason and don't necessarily get it turned back on half the time. They're able to come back and actually win those games. But, you know, we saw it with San Diego state coming um, Arizona state coming last year. Like we've seen this time and time again, Villanova is going to be a team that's good enough that could potentially do the same sort of thing. Um, especially if, you know, the team comes out overhyped and then going to Arizona state, um, you know, honestly, I'm not sure if they're really supposed to be any better this year than they were last year, but they are going to be a decent team and going on the road in December, right around Christmas time could be tough for this team. Hopefully they, they can be as focused as Fetch thought that they were going to be. Um, I mean, I, I think it's number three on my list of those, those two games kind of in that, that time window, but I, I definitely think that that's one worth keeping an eye on. All right. Any other thoughts about the schedule coming up, guys, or, or any like big games that are sticking out to you um, that that you just have have to talk about right now? Well, I think one thing too, and we don't have to dig deep into into this because this is for only the the real nerds. But they've once again built up uh, a really good selection of teams that are um, going to have a chance to win their their mid major or low major leagues. I mean, Vermont is uh, probably going to win. Uh, the America East, despite what uh, UMBC did last year. Um, South Dakota is probably not going to win the Summit League. That's probably going to be South Dakota State, but they are going to have a, a really good team. Uh, you know, New Mexico State should have a chance to win the WAC. Um, Wofford should have a chance to win their league. So yet again, you know, Bill Self, uh, and it's it's a little different this year, obviously, because they're, they're going on their new um, system for setting the uh, 
NCAA tournament field, but, um, you know, certainly there's still value in scheduling those teams that are going to have a chance to win their one bid league. So an, another great job, uh, by the schedulers in that respect as well. Yeah. I mean, if you look at Torvik's early rankings, um, KU has the sixth toughest non-conference strength of schedule and the five above them are central Arkansas, Texas, Southern McNeese state, Eastern Washington and Southern. Uh, so which of these things is not like the other <laughs> if number six is Kansas. Um, so yeah, no, I agree with you because this is an RPI schedule. As you said, it would have helped in, in the RPI world because these teams in the non-conference would have won their, or in their conference would have won their leagues and helped the RPI because they would up their win percentage. But we're being honest with ourselves. This is just a good schedule. Um, so if, if, you know, if what has taken, uh, KU to a better seat in the past continues and it should continue with the quadrant system, uh, KU, because the quadrant system is still being used. So humans are still going to look at this spreadsheet and say, wow, look at all those wins and losses on the left side of this thing. And KU is going to kind of trick the eye again, whether that's the net, the RPI, Ken Palm, whatever. I mean, it's going to be the net this year, but um, KU is still going to trick the eye and have very, very few quadrant three and quadrant four games. And so uh, they will be rewarded when it comes to left selection Sunday. And that's kind of an advantage they've had for many years now with the smart scheduling that Larry Keating has done. Yeah, I mean, and it, it helps that they've kind of had this, this MO for a long time to be able to get these, you know, these higher level teams and, and really to identify a few years out, you know, which teams are trending in the right direction to be good. You know, I can't remember the last time where they had more than two or, you know, two opponents that were, you know, ranked in like the one, the 150s, 200s of, of Ken Bomb even. I'm sure it's probably happened, but I, I, you know, I have a hard time remembering them playing a lot of low, low tier opponents. Um, they just seem to be able to identify which teams are going to have breakout years, which teams are going to be really good in their conference. Um, and that's obviously been really good for them for the RPI and it will continue to be good for them. Even if it's not, you know, the RPI system moving forward, the net is still going to have some of the same characteristics. And so, um, you know, they're still going to be able to, I guess, quote unquote, game the system a little bit to improve those rankings and to make it look a lot more appealing to, to continue to get those ones and twos. So. And, it, and it's also, I mean, beyond what we talk about with the committee, um, just from a fan standpoint, I mean, it's going to be more fun to watch them play South Dakota, um, you know, Wofford, some schools like that versus, you know, when they played Texas Southern and, and obviously that was another one where Texas Southern won their league and stuff, but they're, you know, a really bad team and it's, it's more fun to watch. And this is probably more of a basketball nerd than a casual fan thing, but a little bit more fun to watch them play the teams that have a chance to be in that 100 to 115 range in a, in a Ken Palm versus a, a 200 to 215. So uh, yet another positive for the non-conference schedule. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's probably still going to be a blowout win, but at least it'll be entertaining for a little bit longer. Right. All right. Any any other final thoughts before we get out here for the night, guys? I don't think so. Uh, for me, I, the one thing I wonder about with uh, this team is can it kind of make that level that Bill Self has had in the past with some of his other dominant teams? You know, you look back at maybe 08 or 2010 or 2011 where, you know, those teams kind of ascended above the typical even, you know, one or two seed that Bill Self has where you go through a regular season with two or three losses and, you know, if you could let Bill Self kind of hand select his roster, I think most of what he would want would be on this team. You know, he's got a depth, so many big men. He's got a potentially dominant player in Dietrich Lawson. He's got, you know, Yudok Azabuki. He's got 
you know, athleticism with Quentin Grimes. I mean, he could basically handpick this roster based off of the, the great acquisition of talent he's had in recent years. So um, will this team kind of rise to that sort of level where they lose two or three in the regular season and, you know, win the Big 12 by three, four, five games, something ridiculous like that? I don't know if that's possible. And, I, you know, I don't know if that the game plays the same sort of way as it used to because of we see three-pointers now and there's, you know, a lot more variance from game to game if you hit a few shots. But uh, I guess I'll just be curious if KU maybe takes a step further even up this year with the roster that it has because um, I think Bill Self, if no one else, Bill Self has super, super high expectations for this team. And if we're being honest, even higher expectations than he had for last year's team, which still was able to have a great season and win the Big 12 and make a Final Four. Yeah, I think the thing that that I'm most curious about is how big of a step up in defense is this team going to take? I mean, it, it, it should get better just because of the depth. Um, but I also think that the guys that they have, especially all these transfers coming in, are better equipped to play the defensive style that Bill Self has become known for. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of been the one thing I that's been missing in the last few years when going the small ball and really short lineups is just that they haven't been able to play the kind of swarming defense that they like to play. There was a quote, I'm trying to remember who it was. I want to say it was in one of your articles, Jesse, where, um, you know, they were talking about how Frank Mason wasn't able to play the the pressing style of defense that they typically like him to play last year, or not last year, but two years ago, because, you know, he was going to have to be on the floor for 37, 38 minutes a game. Um, you know, we had the same sort of thing last year as well with, with Devontae Graham. Like they weren't able to play the defensive pressure that Bill Self likes to have his, his guards play because they were going to have to be on the floor for so long. They just couldn't keep that up all game long. Yeah. I mean, we'll see with that. And obviously the rebounding will be a ton better and uh, getting somebody at the four position that has more size will be better for them when you think, and uh, especially, you know, interior defense and, one of the biggest things you can control is your two-point defense and, and keeping people away from the rim and blocking their shots when they're at the rim. And KU seems to have a lot of guys that should be able to do that. So when you have that combined with good rebounding, you know, combined with uh, the athleticism that could be out on the perimeter as well, uh, that should be a formula for KU making a massive jump from whatever they were last year, 47th and uh, defensive efficiency. You know, you'd think this would be another top 10 team. And so you can take a small back off step back offensively if you become a top 10 defensive team again and that's really where uh you think KU can kind of help itself in the margins and, and once begin once again become kind of the old dominant KU team of the past where you're pretty balanced on both ends and, and not giving away something defensively. Yeah, I'll uh I'll just I'll just finish with this spicy take. I'm gonna call my shot now. I, I think they're winning the title this year. Um I think if they can get anything out of their point guard spot um, I, you know, I, I know that people think Duke is really talented and obviously they are and Kentucky is obviously really talented as well. But, uh, to me, Kansas is the most complete team. They're the deepest team. Um, they have stars. I think they're going to be, uh, because of what Jesse talked about with the interior defense and the rebounding. Um, I think they're going to be really good in close games. Um, and I also think the fact that they don't have to rely as much on the three pointer. Um, and I, I love threes more than anyone, but, um, there's no doubt that a, a layup or a dunk is a better shot than a three. Um, and for all, for how, um, good three pointers are over the course of a season, uh, there's no doubt that if you're, you know, you have three, pos- three possessions, uh, in the waning seconds of a game, uh, and you take all threes, there's a lot of variance that comes into it where, as if you can dump it into Dieter Claus and dump it into Yudoka Azubuki and get a dunk, I mean, that's a lot more 
um, high percentage shot that you can count on um, in the clutch. And so uh, I think they're going to be great in close games. Um, Bill Self's obviously great in close games with how he manipulates the clock and how he manipulates fouls and stuff. And um, I just, I don't really, when they're playing um, as well as they can, um, I think they're going to be the best team. And I, I think they're going to win the title. So I'll, I'll finish with that take. Uh, unless you guys want to talk about federal criminal law for another 20 minutes. <laughs> I'm done for the day. I'm out. <laughs> sounds, sounds good. All right. But yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. The only thing that makes me kind of worry a little bit is obviously if, you know, someone gets injured or is, uh, is ineligible or some random thing like that. But, you know, the only other thing that could potentially make me worry is just if they get down early in a particular game and need to be able to rely on the three, they will not have that available um, unless it develops from someone. So, um, you know, I, I, I am definitely comfortable saying that, you know, handicapping it right now, I think they are the overall number one seed going into the NCAA tournament. Um, I do worry that maybe something crazy happens to them in one of those early games and, um, you know, and, and potentially they bow it a lot earlier than they should. We've seen that happen before. Um, typically, it, it seems to happen to, to teams that, you know, aren't able to get hot from the three. Uh, so, but... I would have to agree with you. If if I'm picking somebody to win the title right now, it's it's got to be Kansas with everything that they have and and who they have at the coach and all of the experience that they have coming back. So, all right, guys, we'll we'll go ahead and leave it there. Thank you guys for for joining me tonight. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, and that'll do it for tonight's episode. Big thanks to Jesse and to Fetch also for for joining me tonight. Um, obviously, we. You know, we got a little bit off, off track there at the beginning with the football conversation, but um, I was really interested to kind of hear what he had to say. But uh, so uh, obviously, you know, there'll be a lot more to come about basketball, but our next episode is going to get, pivot back towards football. Um, we will be having another another episode um, with that with actually one of our, our old friends uh, from the website Staking the Plains. Uh, they they cover Texas Tech um, specifically, so. Good friend that we used to work with quite a while back um, was was able to get him to go ahead and agree to come on the podcast. So we will we will have that for you guys previewing the Texas Tech game. Just a few notes in terms of what's coming up. Um, first of all, over the weekend uh, we had quite a few things happen. We had uh, the soccer team actually dropped a heartbreaker to Texas Tech in overtime at home with their their senior day. Um, the, the Kansas tennis team is doing really, really well at the ITA regional championships. They had, um, they had a few, a few people move on to the quarterfinals. I believe they had four singles teams and one double team. So they did really, really well there. Um, coming up, we have volleyball. Um, the volleyball team is at Kansas State on Wednesday at 8 p.m. They're going to be televised on ESPNU. So that's, something you guys can go ahead and, and watch as well. That, that, that'll be available to a lot more people than, uh, than we typically have. So that'll be a great opportunity. And then Friday, um, our next episode will actually come out before this happens, but something to keep in mind. Friday at 7 p.m. on the Longhorn Network, um, you know, we actually have uh, KU Soccer going to Texas to play there. So it should be an interesting, an interesting match for them. Hopefully they can, can win that one and, and, and keep pace up at the top of the league. So, as always, thank you guys for listening tonight. You can contact us on Twitter at RockChalkPod. You can email us at RockChalkPodcast.com. Please find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from. 
rate us five stars, please. Subscribe, leave comments, all that fun stuff. It does help get the visibility for the podcast out there so we can talk to more people and get your guys' comments. Um, so, again, thank you guys so much for listening. We will catch you next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.